Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name's Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing wellbeing information, inspiration, and support for teachers, leaders, and school staff around the world. Before we get started, you can find a video version of this episode on our YouTube channel, Pursuit of Wellbeing. My guest today is Sonia Gill. Sonia is a qualified teacher and she's worked with young people and taught all ages from four to 16. She's also had a successful career in business and having been selected onto the prestigious John Lewis Leadership Programme. Sonia founded her company Heads Up in 2011, where she and her team have been supporting schools to become genuinely outstanding. I love that. The schools they support are four times more likely to gain or maintain their outstanding judgment. She's also the author of two books, Journey to Outstanding and Successful Digital Conversations in Schools. So, Sonia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here, Maria. Lovely to see you. Uh, For full transparency, Sonia and I are dear friends and work together at Heads Up. So I just thought I'd lay all of that out before we get started. Sonia, I know that you've been working hard with with heads and uh, school leaders all through 2020 and, of course, well before that. But I wonder if you could share with us and our listeners some of the things that you and they have learned during this time that could help them going forward. Yeah, what what um what a few months we've all been through. <laughs> More yes. than a year's worth it feels like without yeah. seeing the year out. And yeah, I feel really um grateful that I've been able to support school leaders during this time and a few if it's okay, I'll share a few things that I think have helped them manage I think what's been an unprecedented level of uncertainty in workload. And it's fair mm. to say there's a huge workload in schools, but this has blown that out of the water. Um I think for me, there are probably three key things that that have really shown up. One is culture, one is boundaries, and in a world of uncertainty, really thinking about what you can and can't control. Mm. Um, and if you'd like, <laughs> yeah, let's break them down for yeah? sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'll go through in that order. So culture. I mean, look, at heads up, we focus on creating genuinely outstanding schools by focusing on culture and what. A crisis does is it both accelerates and amplifies so what we found when the crisis kicked in was any cracks in culture became really visible mm. but at the same time those cultures that were really strong that became really visible and you could see a kind of almost polarization it's probably a little bit of an extreme word polarization but it's kind of this real amplification of what was already bubbling away under the surface of culture be that good stuff or not so good stuff. Before, can I interrupt for a second? And let's just see, just for the for the benefit of clarity, what when you talk about school culture, what do you mean by that? Just so we're all on the same page. I'm, I'm really glad you asked that because I can fall into that world of assumptions when I live in that world. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so when I'm talking about culture, I'm talking about behaviour over time. Uh, it, it's the norms, the expectations, the behaviours of the people within within the group and team, and it forms because we come together regularly. So in teams, it's in, in schools, it's the whole team, but within that, there are microcultures because the office team have a certain dynamic, year groups have certain dynamics, there could be TA groups, leadership groups, and so on. So there's lots of kind of mini cultures and behavioral norms that exist. Some of them are great and they really support the team going forward, and some of them are not so great. And that's where in the pandemic, what we saw is we saw 
not in every instance, but there are many instances where we, we kind of saw who people really were. Mm. You know, those who were really on board with the culture just shone so incredibly bright. But then there were some who there'd always been some niggles with. And actually, the pandemic just showed that actually that they're not on board and they're not in line with the culture. And, and it became fractious. Mm-hmm. So I think culture was amplified through the pandemic. <laughs> And what would you recommend to your to the schools that you work with and to our listeners, of course, what can you do to to help people manage and improve a culture? As you say, that's, that the, the cracks have shown up, they've been amplified. What can they do to help that? I think I think there are some short term things um, that, that can help well, in the short term. And then I think there are the kind of the longer term do we actually want to fix this? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of, do you paper over the cracks enough or do you decide that the wall needs some significant work? So in the short term, the quicker things, um, I think clarity around expectations, being aware that as we continue to move through a pandemic, because it's not over yet, that those expectations may need to change. You know, I was supporting a group of um, heads during the pandemic and early on, we were talking about equity and fairness. And instead of saying you know, everybody must do X, Y, and Z, actually what we're saying is think about the individual. You know, everyone's been thrown, thrown into this uncertain time. This isn't a time for kind of laying out, this is the rule and everyone must follow it. It's a time for understanding that someone's got a sick mother, uh, someone's really vulnerable, someone's got five children, they're homeschooling, and we need to adapt and we can't apply the same rules to everyone. But as we get more familiar with the interim normal, we begin to move more towards equity. So being really clear about what those expectations are are a way to to help fix some of those short-term things. If you're brave to have the difficult conversations, and particularly anyone in my team's trained you how to have them, then be be mindful that, you know, you only want to bite off so many at any given time, but pick where actually it's right to have that difficult conversation. Certainly with the heads I've worked with, where we picked that there are ones that do need to be had, that can't just ignore them for now they need to be had actually they they've moved forward quickly and well because actually the crisis has just accelerated them in the longer term look i'm a big fan of you know you create culture by design if you want a high performing culture i think that's something to be thinking about probably the earliest from january onwards if i'm honest mm-hmm. <laughs> i think there's going to be some bedding in during the autumn term and january still might be too soon um, it's one of those things that you could keep putting off, but in your own mind, I'd say think about when are we really going to look at how we develop this culture to at least be stronger. And in my world, I'd always say to be genuinely outstanding. Yeah, lovely. And so the second point you talked about then was culture boundaries. Was that yeah. the second one? So how to talk to me about boundaries. Where have they been going wrong or going right? Yeah, so I think... Um, one of the things a lot of people in education found them thrust into was we're working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, Maria, you know, you and I have known each other for years. We've both worked from home for, for a long time. So for us, it wasn't a big change. For me, I wasn't going to schools as often as I love to, but I know how to work from home. I, I do it often. So boundaries around how you manage that dynamic. So you keep a work-life balance. Um, I think they were really important, but also boundaries with the team. Early on, understandably, people were available 24-7. You know, we were all seeking information. We all wanted access to everything, to everyone that we knew and might comfort us or reassure us or help us all the time, and that made sense. But as we moved forward, some of those boundaries needed to come back in. 
you know, things like me, you know, I don't, I don't tend to be on the email after six o'clock. And unless it's urgent, I don't want to talk about work after six o'clock. Not because I don't love what I do. I do. But I learned when I was a teacher that even though I was passionate about what I did, if I didn't make space for the other things in life, I didn't actually bring my best self to my work. So having those boundaries actually allows me to be better when I do work. Are you available on WhatsApp all the time to your team or not? You know, and, and actually deciding when are you going to communicate? What are those structures that allow you to keep in touch, to lead your teams, um, to, to let people know what's going on, but within some, some parameters that also allow you the space with everything that's going on as a leader in schools to focus on the next piece of guidance that's coming out, the fifth risk assessment, the 18th rotor that you've had to write. You need space for that. And that's where boundaries become really important. Yeah, and I think an important aspect to consider as well is when we squeeze out all of that precious time, that evenings and weekends, there's a really high price to pay for that, isn't there? Because the things that we squeeze out are the things that nourish us and make us happy and, you know, just bring us joy in our life. And so if we squeeze them all out, it's really, we really run the risk of being burnt out and exhausted, don't we? Exactly. And, and then you can't bring your best self to your work. Yeah. I remember having probably, probably the epiphany that made me, at thankfully a reasonably young age, get really strict with myself about my work-life balance. But I was, um, it was when I was a, an NQT yeah. and I had a really demanding class. Um, I wanted to do well. I wanted the children to do well. And I found I was working every evening, all weekend, bar three hours. And what happened was, I didn't teach as good lessons as I could because I was too worn out. And I thought, what's the point of doing all this work if when I stand up in front of my class and I'm with them five days a week, I don't do as good a job as I can because I'm too tired. Yeah. So I had to get really strict with myself about how much work I would do because I wanted to deliver as good a lesson as I could to them and then continue to improve. Exactly as you say, we squeeze too much in, we burn out and we don't have enough for the stuff where we really have to show up. Yeah, for sure. And let's move on to your third point. Can can'ts. Sorry? The can can'ts. The can can'ts, yes. Yeah. Um, I think this has been really hard in the pandemic with all the uncertainty, because of all the uncertainty. And one thing that I talk to people about is, you know, when you're facing challenges, um, I had an example of this recently, actually. A head was saying that we just don't know what's going to happen in September. This was a, a few weeks back. Um, you know, I don't know if we should be doing this. I don't know if should be doing that. I said, actually, just list out for the, for the issue you're trying to resolve, list out what you can control and what you can't. So you can't control if you're going to go into a second wave, a second lockdown. Mm -hmm. yeah, you, there are certain things you just cannot control, but there are things you can. And with that information and as much good data as you can get, base your decision and actions on that but we can end up in this spiral where we end up worrying with no benefit because we're going but I don't know this and I don't know that and I, and I understand why I've been there as well you can always kind of go okay what can I control what can I know what can't I control what can't I know it can just help you go right this is the best I can do because that's the situation most of us are in and you have, you're the queen of spreadsheets, I have to say. You, you're just amazing at just getting everything out of your head and onto paper. And, and I remember the, the spreadsheet that, that you were circulating across the team with us and across the, the heads and leaders you were working with. 
Can you talk us through that? What was the kind of information that, that you were helping them gather? So everything's just laid out in front of them because I think so often we don't have enough information to make important decisions. Yeah. Um, thank you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing on spreadsheets compared to my husband, um, but I'll take the compliment. Um, so it, it varies for different things, but sometimes if I, if I go back to the example of equity and fairness, Mm-hmm. Um, and with staff teams and actually early on being really live to what do your team need? How do we support people who are going through uncertainty at, at this high level? So it was actually just really breaking down, you know, right, what, what are the things we know about them that might affect things? Because the danger was if we said to everybody, don't worry, don't contact us, don't, we're going to leave you alone. For some people that would have been hell on earth. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're a teacher living in a studio flat in London, suddenly your busy day-to-day life has been ripped away from you. That's actually detrimental to your well-being. Mm-hmm. So just really breaking down what can we know, you know, what's their living circumstances, for example, um, I don't know, they've got children, you know, what, what, what are the variables that may come into play that could affect where they are? But also, you know, has anybody spoken to them and asked them? Let's get a log and find out where they're at and get a gauge. If we ask them on a scale of one to 10, how are they feeling? Is 10 better than ever? One, worst I've ever been. Where are they right now? You know, and, and actually who needs to support them? And just really trying to break down the variables that we, could, we can use to paint a picture to inform action. So uh, various different ways of doing that for different problems. But yeah, yeah. it falls down to a spreadsheet in my world. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, but it's it's having the facts and the information in front of you that you can that can inform your decisions. And um, you talk a lot. You in, in heads up. You talk about vision and values. Can you tell us how people can use their uh, their values and vision to inform decisions going forward, or what what they could do to use that to yeah, help them? Definitely. So um, for me, values and vision kind of make make life easier, a lot easier. The more powerful and well articulated they are, they are the easier they make life. But in the time of pandemic, just knowing what they are would be enough. Um, so, your vision is about why you do what you do and where you're trying to go. What you do, um, your values are about who you are and what you really believe in. The values that that value most you, the behaviours that value most, uh, you value most. Um, I definitely recommend no more than five, six at a push. Mm-hmm. I see some people have 12 or 20. I think that's too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, values do exist in a hierarchy. So of that 12 or 20, there are five or six that are really critical. And then in terms of decision-making, they're your barometers. They're two of the three kind of benchmarks you need to go, right, are we in line? Does this support the difference we're trying to make in the world for schools? That's going to be around education and, and the holistic well-being of the child. Is it in line with our values? That's very individual per school, but does this decision fit with our values? And then the third piece is actually what are our strategic priorities? So in terms of the actions we take to fulfill that vision, do these actions, are these decisions we're making in line with that? And if you've got that triangle essentially, anything that sits within it is really congruent and actually people will get, people won't kind of think, why are you doing that? But if you are not absolutely crystal clear on that triangle, if it's fuzzy in any places, you could end up putting things outside. Yeah, you can end up making decisions that sit over here or sit over there, which in isolation seem okay, but they don't fit with what your culture is, which is what this triangle essentially is. That's when things start to look odd. That's when we don't really understand why have you made that decision? Because it feels 
out of line with what you at least say or what we've experienced you're about. And that's really uncomfortable for our teams. Absolutely. And could you give us any concrete examples of what that might look like? So what are some examples of, of some examples of values that, that are quite common in schools? I know they're, they're unique to each school. And how does things sit outside? So just to, to illustrate a little bit the point that you just made about. Yeah, um, I think a good school. I can give you examples from Heads Up quite easily. Um, yeah. Should I use a heads-up example? Yeah, for sure. You can tell me whether it, it was or wasn't. Yeah. Um, so in heads-up, we have three values. We have integrity, we have evolving excellence, and we have leading with love. Um, when the pandemic hit, for good reason, schools postponed their training. They needed to focus on shutting their schools and then opening for key works and so on. And the struggle there was, well, we help schools evolve excellence by going in and training them, and now we're not doing that. So what do we do? Well... I'll be honest with you, there's a point where I thought, I actually just want to hide behind my sofa for three months and come out when this is all over, thinking it might be over in three months. Um, but actually, our biggest strategic priority and our aim is to have as big a positive impact on schools as possible. So if I want to have a positive impact on schools, I can't hide behind a sofa. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't let me, even though I really, there were points, I'm sure we all had where we really wanted to. So then we look at the values and we think, okay, how do we help schools evolve excellence and how do we live with love in a way that has integrity for us? I started sending out daily emails uh, to head teachers and school leaders that, we, that we'd, we'd either worked with or they're on our, our database, you know, on our, on our list of, of school leaders because they, they'd connected with us. And just daily emails of support, was, it was just advice to give, to share some insights and immediately and all the way through the pandemic, I got emails back going, thank you so much. You, somehow you read my mind. I needed to hear this today. You've talked about the problem. That came purely from a, I can't do what I did. You know, as a team, we couldn't do what we wanted to do. We couldn't have the impact in the way we had. So how do we use our values to guide our actions? Had I hidden behind the sofa, it would have jarred with everything that we stand for, everything we believe and who we are. Despite the fact at times it was a big urge. Does that help? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I'm sure there are many, many people that can relate to that urge to just, you know, stay into the duvet and hope it all just passes. But as we're recording this in August and, you know, schools and, and heads and leaders are preparing to go back into let's call it stage two, but you know, the the, the coming term leading up to Christmas. What have we learned? You know, and I know it'll be a very different picture as well because maybe we're thinking that perhaps most schools will be fully reopened and staff will be back. So we won't be dealing with as, as many people being at home and trying to manage that. What can we learn from this? What can we do to support, you know, each other, our staff, our families, our children? Um, Big question, I know. <laughs> Great question. It's a great question. It's kind of two, I have two feelings with it. Because on the one hand, you know, I'm I'm so aware there's been a lot of pain. You know, we know what our numbers are in the UK. You know, and I, I don't underestimate what people have gone through. We've got an old people's home just next, you know, next door, and you know, they haven't been able to see anyone. You know, and just in so many ways, there's been so much pain. So I, I, I I'm really aware of that. I feel that, and none of us want anyone to go through those kinds of, of 
of hard times and, and all those troubles. And that's, I'm talking about COVID there. I'm not even talking about some of the less visible pain that people have gone through, you know, the loneliness, the isolation. My other emotion is one of real excitement, though, um, because what I've, what I've seen, and God, I love working with school leaders because they're just incredible. And what I've seen is how rapidly we can adapt as humans, how agile we can be. I had great conversations with people who were saying, we've been talking about online homework for years. We did it in two weeks. Yes. You know, whether it's Google Classrooms, you know, I've seen schools bond with their communities more. I've seen so much rapid learning happen, you know, in one term. I mean, the lessons of that term and the gains that have been made for schools and their communities are far greater than the time that was available amongst, you know, and that's against a backdrop of really uncertain times. So I think there are valuable lessons from that, that I'm I can't want to say confident, uh, knowing humans that as we move further away f- from the crisis and what that brings, we'll do that less and less. Those accelerators that happen mm-hmm. because of the crisis will happen less and less. We'll go back, there'll be slower decision-making because of it. Whereas crises accelerate things because they, you have to make decisions quickly. Absolutely. You can't prevaricate in the same way we can at other times. Um, pros and cons to both. So I think, you know, that's where I have kind of real excitement about look at what you did. Look how much you learned in such a short space of time. Look how you pulled together. Look at what you did. Look how much stronger you are and how much more you know because something terrible happened, but you did amazing things despite it. So that's where my kind of two sides to emotions are. Yeah. I think the key thing is um, going forward in terms of managing our own well-being and each supporting each other is I think I'd go back to boundaries and pace um, as you said, whether it's a second stage, you know, early on in this pandemic, I think one of my emails was around, this is a marathon, not a sprint. I actually now think it's a series of marathons. And I say this not to depress anyone, but I think we need to be prepared for this lasting the next school year. Mm. Let's prepare for the worst and hope for the best and hope it is sooner than that. But I heard a quote um, the other day that everyone thinks war will be over by Christmas. And it never is. Um, so I think looking after ourselves is critical, you know, and, and one thing I really wanted to do with sport head, head teachers in particular, because I thought if you fall over, I'm not saying your schools can't run, of course they will, but there is a layer of leadership that they bring that's really important. And, and actually, you've got to look after these people because they're so busy looking after everybody else. And as leaders, you've got to be really careful of that. It's the old, you've got to put your... Oxygen mask. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's often something that we can overlook as, as other staff members in the school, that we just think that they're, you know, ironclad, the leaders. And, but there's so much on their shoulders at the moment. Um, so, yes, most definitely do what you can to take care of yourself, you know, as a school leader. Um, any, any final comments or ideas or thoughts that have come to you before we wrap up, Sonia? Um. I think probably what I'd just say on that, that point about looking after yourself is that it doesn't have to be big things. You know, Maria, you and I have talked and you've often given me just these, these kind of tips that take, if they take 60 seconds, that's a long one, if that makes sense. <laughs> Whether it was breathing or, you know, just a range of things or just a kind of little game to play in your own mind to get a different perspective. You know, there, there are a lot of things you can do to look after yourself that don't require, you know, I need to sit and meditate for four hours. <laughs> 
because I'm not going to do that. I've got four hours to spend and I don't think I could manage it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's uh, probably my tip would be, you know, really prioritise that because your schools need you. And that ability to go the distance with everything that's going to happen. And as you say, leaders shoulder a huge amount of responsibility in their professional lives before we even talk about what their personal lives are like, mm-hmm. you know, and what that might be for each individual. Building those routines and practices so that you can go the distance, because if you fall over, yes, your school will carry on. But I don't think it will carry on as well as if you're there at the helm. Yes. We need our leaders right now. We do. We do. And amen to that. Yes. Amen. Well, I've been speaking with Sonia Gill, leadership expert, author, and founder of Heads Up. And you mentioned, Sonia, about the daily emails. Could people sign up to get those from you from now? Would that be possible? Yeah. So over the summer, I've done weekly emails, but I'll be starting them up again um, as a new term kicks in. So if you like my daily emails, they're, they're short, they're sweet, they offer leadership teams. <laughs> One person emailed me to say, thank you for them, they've been great, and likened them to the, the Joe Wicks workout for management. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love that quote. Um, yeah, and people have given really good feedback that they've just helped them get the perspective they needed or take the steps they needed through the pandemic. So if you think that'd be useful to you, sign up and, you know, have a two-way dialogue with me if you'd like to. Um, I love hearing from school leaders. Yeah. And people can find them at your website, which is ukheadsup.com forward slash C19 support. So that's COVID-19, so C19 support. You can connect with Sonia on Twitter, at which is Sonia G underscore heads up. And your website is ukheadsup.com. Her books are Journey to Outstanding and Successful Difficult Conversations in School. Sonia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. thank you, Maria. And thank you to all those school leaders for everything you have done for us over the last few months and everything I know you're going to be doing as we go forward. Thanks so much for listening. Now check out our website, pursuitwellbeing.com and take our free teacher anxiety quiz. I'll include the link in the description below. The quiz only takes a couple of minutes and you'll get a better understanding of where you are today, plus tips to immediately feel better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.